Today we start a new series called Lost and Found. It's a, it's a thought process that goes throughout all the scripture. Jesus really centers in on this idea of lost and found in a, in a section of parables that he, he just rapid fires, shoot, shoots out. And he does this a lot in scriptures. If you see uh, one uh, theme, he will do it in a couple. The small, vin, or small things are called pericopes. It's a fun word for you today. You learned something today, okay? So the, the small ones are called pericopes. So a lost coin, and the story of the lost coin is a pericope, and then the lost, uh, lost uh, sheep is another pericope. And it's just fun to say. It almost sounds like a Pokemon, uh, but that's okay. Uh, and there's another one, uh, the lost son, which is the prodigal son story. And um, we always focus in on the prodigal son, and the other two kind of get out of the way. But they're, they really were meant to be told all together and, and kind of studied all together. But as I was studying that section of Scripture it really resounded with me that this is not a story that's just told in this one simple little area of the Gospels. It is an area, this idea of lost and found that is repeated over and over and over and over again in the Scripture. Just over and over. Uh, With almost every major hero of the faith, they're lost and then they're found and it all changes. Abraham just kind of doesn't know what he's doing with life. He finds God. God finds him and says, Abraham, get up. I'll go and show you a place to go and gives him a purpose. Samson feels like it's all lost. He's been blinded. And he finds God again. God comes, uh, comes to him. And with one final act, he is an instrument of God's uh, hand again. It's just this over and over again as you look at the Bible people and their stories and how they're interacting with faith and how they're interacting in life. Their stories resemble maybe our own where we've been lost and then we are found. And so today I want to kind of set the stage for the rest of the series by diving into what it looks like to be lost and found. I think a major part of this, and back to the Bible characters, is they really didn't know who they were. They were struggling to find themselves, as a lot of times we struggle to find ourselves. And we think that's kind of a uh, teenage problem sometimes, but it's not. Being a grown-up is really just high school on a bigger scale. Right? We're so excited to graduate high school. I don't have to deal with those people anymore and those people. Yeah, you get a whole new people that you got to deal with, because they were in high school and they never really graduated from it mentally. So it's just over and over again, it's just the same thing, just a bigger pool of people. So we're always trying to figure out who we are. We're always trying to figure it out. And it's this battle inside of us of who am I? And am I trying to be fake? Am I trying to be something I'm not? Am I trying to be, am I true to myself? Am I even close to what God has made me and wants me to be. I think sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we look in the mirror and we don't even recognize that person. Identity theft is the fastest growing crime in America. Last year, there's over 9 million cases of identity theft. 9 million. 
There's going to be a lot more next year with Target getting all of its bank accounts taken at Christmas time, right? It's, it's bad, but think about this. This is a nation pretending to be someone else. That's what identity theft is, is I am taking on your persona. I'm trying to be you for money. But if we think about it, don't we identity theft all the time? We see someone we, we look up to or we see somebody else or, we, or someone that's who we think they want us to be. And so we become that person. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we look around and our identity has been stolen. As Christians, our identity should never be stolen. Our identity should be secure and safe in Christ Jesus. When we are adopted as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, of the Creator of it all, our identity should be secure and is secure, but we don't act like it sometimes. If Maybe if you, you don't really have a relationship with Jesus, but you can resonate with the idea, yeah, I struggle with my identity, with who I am, and who I'm trying to be. Jesus can be that anchor. Jesus is that anchor. He's the only one that works, who will root you in a strong, secure identity. If you guys remember with me, talked about high school a little bit, but school seems to be like the, the crucible in which identities are started to be formed, right? From the very first day, what are my kids wearing to kindergarten? From your, and it's a crucible for you too, because the car pickup line, right? We see the car pickup line here for this school every day at three o'clock, which always tends to be the time I get back from Home Depot. So I'm always trying to dob off stuff right when there's 8,000 cars in here. And I'm like making people move and backing up. And they're yet, they go, who is this guy? Some of those people are going to walk in here and be like, that was the pastor that I flipped off. Awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that'll bring a giggle to my face uh, on that one. So, um, <laughs> but we, we see it even out here in the car line. And maybe you see it out in your car line as well, is like you're being judged on what car is picking up your kids. And if you have a swagger wagon, a minivan, you know, your kids aren't even in the back, but you turn on the Incredibles just so the guy behind you knows that you have the DVD system that can play the Incredibles. And it's just the status, status, status. Now, you may, that's making light of it, but let's think of cars in particular. A lot of them are just status symbols. That is why I drive a 2004 Alero. Status symbols. We, we, we find them all over the place with clothes, and, and we still do it. It's just kind of under a microscope in junior high and high school. For me, you remember this? I asked Yvonne. I wanted to borrow it, and she wouldn't let me. Trapper keepers? Anybody? Anybody remember trapper keepers, right? Trapper keepers. You weren't cool unless you had a trapper keeper. Yeah. Kelly and I had a debate on whether we knew Yvonne's trapper keeper would be purple, because that is her favorite color, but we didn't know if it had the unicorn on the front or if it was just purple solid, because uh, Kelly was all excited about the unicorn one, so we, we had a debate, a friendly debate in our house about what we thought she would have had. But, however, here we are, 20 years removed from our Trapper Keeper days, and we are still debating on Avon's Trapper Keeper. And we do that all the, mine, uh, the Reebok pumps, do you remember those? 
if you had the Reebok pumps, you were automatically the coolest kid in class because your parents spent 150 bucks on tennis shoes. My Payless shoes worked just fine, uh, but they didn't pump up. Uh, yeah, and, the, and the Air Jordans of that day, and it was, I know there's things now that are the same kind of identifiers. I make fun of junior high and high school and, and, and elementary time just because it's so in your face, but we do the same today. We do the same thing. How big's my engagement ring? How big is this? Da, 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 da. What, what kind of tools do I have? I don't know. What's in my driving or my my driveway? That's what I was looking for. I was going to say driving lot, and that's not a word. Uh, so. We do it all the time, and that's what we start to be identified with. And we forget who we are. And it's travesty because all those things were just things. All those things are just extras. They have no bearing on who I am as a man. They have no bearing on who I am as a father. They have no bearing on who I am as a husband. They have no bearing on who I am as a follower of Christ. But we've been dealing with this same thing since the very, very first humans. Genesis four, uh, 3, verse 4 and 7. Satan, the serpent, is talking to Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As soon as they brought sin into their life, they realized they were naked. As soon as they brought sin into their life, their identity was compromised. Think about that. As soon as that bite is taken, they go, "Ah, I'm naked. As soon as that happened, they realize it. Something is not right. I'm not perfect. I'm not the way I want to be. Eve immediately asks, does this fig leaf make my butt look big? <laughs> immediately. It started. Then. They are concerned with their nakedness. Immediately. Immediately they feel they do not measure up. Genesis 3. Eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, the man, and said, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, This is God, who told you that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The heartbreak of God. Everything changes right then. Do you hear it? Who told you that you were naked? You were made in my image. I specifically crafted you as beautiful and as amazing and glorious. And in my image, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were anything less than you, 
than beautiful, than amazing, than perfect. Who told you that you were naked? Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. The image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Some of you today suffer with body image stuff. There's, there's just body baggage. I have a wart. These zits keep on popping up. Oh, it's bad. I'm overweight. I'm underweight. Whatever it is, we have baggage. What does it say? You were made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. The first response of not knowing who you are is thinking that you are less than you are. The first response of not knowing who you are is thinking you are less than you are. See, God just created them perfect and whole. A God who has daily communion with them. They, they know the sound he makes while walking through the garden. Can you imagine that kind of relationship with God? That you know the sound he makes as he passes through? Oh, they're that close to him. They have that deep of a relationship with him. Yeah, it's immediately as they sin, they go, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough to be this. I, I can't be here, God. I, I, I got a fig leaf. I was scared of you. The second response is to blame someone else. Adam being the stand-up man he was. She did it. <laughs> you were standing there, chump. She did it. Now, what does that do for us as, as men and as women? How many of us have seen someone that we love dearly and close and we watch them struggle with their identity and we just let them slide and we worry about them and worry about them, but we don't just say, hey, listen, no, you're better than this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. You do not have to be that person. There's a couple times I know I needed to be grabbed by my shoulders and just going and rattled around. I don't know if it would have done any good, but I sure wish somebody would have done it. But as a husband, to say, standing there and watching the fall of mankind, because you're like, it's an apple, kind of want to eat it. He should have been grabbing her hand and said, no, no. He should have been grabbing the serpent and stomping it under his heel. Instead, he's like, she did it. You see the problem with that? We want to blame somebody else for our own identity problems. When you don't know who you are, you blame others for your problems. If you're in a marriage, you do this a lot. Why didn't you do the dishes last night? Because she didn't fold the clothes. Why'd you do that? Because she did this. It's a, when your marriage turns into a only because they did this thing, you're going to have problems in that marriage pretty quick. I'll do this if she does that. I'll do this if she does this. And if she does this, then I'll do that. 
And we have sometimes those arguments all played out in our heads where we ha- already have it six times. We already have her doing this, 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 cheating on you, moving out, doing all these things. And she's sitting on the couch next to you because she's, she didn't move the popcorn bowl or something silly like that. And we have all that stuff played out in our heads and we've got what our reactions are going to be. And all we're thinking of is in, all, in those reactions. And it's all because of our own insecurities that we might be scared she's going to leave or scared of what he's going to do. We don't know who we are in Christ. We're not grounded in this relationship. We don't trust each other enough. No one has had the guts to say, stop that. Don't grab that. When you don't know your true identity in Jesus, you treat people out of your identity crisis. Now this one just kind of rattles around in my head. When you don't know your true identity in Jesus, you treat people out of your identity crisis. Because I found myself, when I'm struggling with, with me, when I'm struggling with my emotional issues or my spiritual issues or my stuff, I think everybody else around me has got those same insecurities and the same problems and the same issues. So I would be mad at me, so so-and-so's got to be mad at me. Does that, does that make sense? I think, I think sometimes when we're struggling with who we are, struggling when, when, with all that, when we're making up things about ourselves, we just kind of place them and place them on everybody else around us. Well, I'm agitated, so so-and-so's got to be agitated. I'm angry and bitter, and so they've got to be angry and bitter. I'm not angry and bitter. I'm having a good day. But we automatically place that on them, on our own insecurities and our identity crises. Paul shows how a relationship should work in Ephesians 5, 22, what it looks like when you start living a found life instead of a lost life. See, all this stuff that we just talked about is what looks like when you're lost you think that you're less than you are. You blame somebody else and you, you blame others for your problems. That's, that's when you, how you live a lost life. But a found life switches everything on its head. A found life lives something like this. This might sound foreign to you. Ephesians 5, 33 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And I would really like to stop now and preach for a half an hour. (laughs) Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Sometimes our identity crises are that we are just not willing because we're so insecure in ourselves. And this is for men and women together, is that we won't submit and say, it's okay. We'll do that. Because submission means what? You're trusting that the other person can handle it. That the other person has the right idea. That the other person can lead you. I'll be honest, there's a lot of people that struggle with this. Just submitting. Husbands. I wasn't going to leave it out, Kelly. I know you're worried. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. When you live a found kind of life, you live a life that is as looking at your at this relationship and saying, how do I make it better? How do I help in this? How do I make life better for her? How do I lead better? How do I work this so it's better? How am I drawing our family closer to God and closer to each other? How do I do that as a man? When you live with those thoughts radiating in your head, how, how do I maybe even need to sacrifice myself more so that my family can be elevated? Because that's what, how Christ would treat the church. As we become men who are worthy of submission, wives need to live lives of submission. But when you live a life of submission for, like that, they deserve men who will put, not stop at nothing to put them ahead of themselves. You see how this works? It's, it's mutual. It's like a who can submit faster? Who can lift up faster? Who can help faster? Who can work on that faster? And that changes because you can't do any of that unless you know who you are in Christ. Because insecurity will not submit. Insecurity will not submit. Say it again because that's profound. Insecurity will not submit. You think about, you watch any TV show, you watch anybody who's got like lies going on or was afraid to be caught in anything, they will never submit to anything. They will not acquiesce to anything. But people who have nothing to hide can submit to stuff. There's, nothing, there's no junk to find here, there's no trash to find here. I trust her, it's okay. She trusts me, that's where the submission can happen. Romans eight twelve to 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Let's read that in verse 13 again. For if you live according to the flesh... You will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misleads, misdeeds of the body, you will live. If you live like you are naked, you will die. If you live like Adam and Eve are talking about, oh, we're naked now, we're not good enough now, we, we don't measure up now. If we live like that, that's where the death comes from. But if we live a life that has stepped into the Spirit that says, no, I am a child of God. That's when we have life and we have full life. When we can step into that and say, God, I'm I'm yours and I know that I'm yours and I can operate out of that on a daily basis instead of I'm not good enough, I'm scared about this and I can't operate that and I can't do this. No, when we say, no, I'm a child of God. And that is our daily operating platform. Everything else changes around it. That is when we have life and we have it to its fullest 
It gets even better. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For if we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does that mean for us? This is what it means to be found. This is what it looks like to be found. You are God's workmanship. Think about that for a second. You are God's workmanship. Psalm 139, 13 says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That God's very hands had a role to play in who I am and who you are and how you came together and how you function. You are God's workmanship. Now, as I created, there's some fun things downstairs that I got to make. I got all crafty. Um, and we, we, I just really had a blast making that pallet wall and seeing it come together. And it was funny because I started putting it together. And everybody that was there that night just kind of left me alone. Jared is in a zone. I don't know why. He's also had a nail gun. That could have probably had some why they left me alone. But I started putting together that wall, and now I see it on the wall. And I'm like, oh, that's so neat. I love that thing. It's my workmanship. I love it. When it gets broken for the first time, I might shed a tear. It'll happen. But think about that. When you create something, if you ever do any woodworking, if you ever do any kind of art stuff, if you ever do anything, when you see it, you're like, that's my workmanship. That was my handiwork. I did that. That's how God views all of us. His workmanship is in every single one of you. If you are great with numbers, if you're bad with numbers, if you're an artist, if you're not an artist, if you're musical, if you're not musical, if whatever, whoever you are, God's workmanship is all over you. And he created you. And he looks at you and says, Oh, that is awesome. That should just bring a smile to your face, I would hope. Maybe some of you just needed to hear that today. I, I am. I'm okay. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In John chapter 1, it talks about all things are created through Jesus. I think this is amazing that when we are knit together in our mother's womb, God has already figured out that we are created to do amazing stuff. And think about that. He already, you're like, Jared, there's no amazing coming out of this. No, 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 no. You've already been created to do amazing things, to do good works. You were given a plan and a purpose while you were already being formed. You were created for it. See, when we live like we're naked, when we live like we're lost, we don't step into that. We kind of just, all we think about is our nakedness. And when all you're consumed by your nakedness, you can't live life. Because all you're doing is looking for fig leaves all day long. And some of us have been looking for fig leaves for far too long. We just run from self-identifier to self-identifier to self-identifier to self-identifier, trying to fill something up here to cover something up that just is supposed to be exposed. I'm not expecting all of us to show up to church naked next week, okay? So I just want to be clear with that. That came out wrong, but um, that he prepared in advance for us to do. You are not an afterthought. 
Think about that. You were not a, oh, whoops-a-daisy, didn't know Kelly was coming. You were prepared in advance for us, for, for us to do. Oh, well, the good works are already prepared in advance, but you were also prepared in advance. You're not a mistake. I come from, I'm not supposed to be born. The doctors thought I was a tumor. They looked at my mom and said, well, you can't be pregnant, so it must be a tumor. They did an ultrasound on me like, oh, your tumor's got a heartbeat. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, oh, maybe I was just a mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. That's not supposed to happen. And I could let that, I could let that form me. But instead, God worked through, what? My mom's not supposed to have kids? What's up? And the same is for you. Some of you, oh, my mom didn't want me. I'm adopted. I'm struggling with this or that. It doesn't matter. God in heaven, he did what? He created you in Christ Jesus to do good works that he had already thought about. He was crafting things in, in his omni-everything, how he knows everything, sees everything, to say, oh, this is going to be amazing for her to do. This is going to be just right for him to do. Because you are thought about, and you're cared about, and you're loved. But if we, all we can see is how bad we are and how naked we are, we never get to step into those things. Are you hearing that? Maybe today it's time to get found. Maybe you've operated like you were found for a while and you fell back into nakedness. I struggle with this, perfectly honest with you. Struggle with big time self esteem issues all throughout junior high and high school. This is rough stuff. But to operate and to switch our lives, that we are found in Christ Jesus, that we are made through his workmanship, and God created us with a plan and a purpose for us. That is who we are. We're not what we drive, we're not where we work, we're not the money on a paycheck. We're not the trapper keeper we take to school. We are sons and daughters of God most high. And to me, that just, I have to think about that. And I have to let that resonate in my heart. I have to say, God, will you just, will you teach me that over and over again? that you love me and that you have a plan for me and that I am special for you, that I am your workmanship. No matter what's gone into my past, and I don't even know what you have for me in my future. But I know this, God, I don't want to be running around anymore thinking that I'm naked. I want to step into the life that God has for me. And maybe that is for you too. Maybe you've been running around thinking, I'm not good enough, and this is terrible, and I all the time. But God has so much more planned for you, and so much more for your life than what you're living right now. Not saying it's easy, not saying it's fast, but he has so much more planned for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. God, I pray for the people here that we would experience what it is to be found. 
And God, for those people today, maybe for the first time, they want to be found by you. That they just ask Jesus, find me. Find me here and wherever I'm at. God, I've been running from thing to thing to place to place, from fig leaf to fig leaf, and now it's time to be found. I want to step into the creation that you have for me. I want to step into who you've dreamed for me to be. God, I want to know who I am. That I am a son or daughter of God. God, so right now, I, just, I ask you to move in people's hearts that right now have been struggling with things that they've buried deep, deep, deep down inside, that you would rip down those calluses. You would expose their heart to say, yeah, I want to be found. And God, at this time, right here, at this moment, maybe they would start a life with you to know who they are, to know whose they are. God, we love you. We praise your name. Amen. I hope that this week, I pray that this week will be a week that we can walk in our identity of Christ, that we can be found in Jesus, that we can put apart all that junk that we've placed on ourselves. And it's not a switch. It's not something we just throw. It's not easy. but that we can push that all away and step into the life that God has for us, that he has prepared in advance for us to do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed.